each of you to be a part of sharing just a brief remembrance. We know how deeply that um, the memory of uh, 9-11 strikes all of a sudden in a very, very vivid and memorable way. And I'm, in a few moments, um, three of our men are coming to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to give you, ask you to join me in a reading on page 1289 of, uh, of the Bibles in the Pew. This is a bit unusual, different type of, of reading for today, but one of the things I've been deeply impressed about is God brings great good out of human tragedy when hearts are turned to him to say, Lord, this world and the curse condition that it's in slaps us in the face day after day after day, and then sometimes in cataclysmic ways, such as 21 years ago, it's, it's so beyond what any human can describe in terms of the catastrophe that um, our focus really in prayer is to God to raise up people to be witnesses of, of, of the glory of his kingdom. And this is a bit unusual as a way to reflect that, but it struck me very strongly that one of the great things that came out of the prayers of the hearts of people after that terrible day was the witness for Jesus Christ that came in the lives of so many who were able to say, this is what God did for me. This is how he delivered me. This is the good that God brings. He can turn evil situations around in such a way that hearts are drawn to him in eternity. And I want to ask you to read a very brief section on page 1289. It's Acts 26. It is verse 13 through 18. It is the place where the Apostle Paul is appealing to King Agrippa for release to go, to be able to go to Caesar. It's a part of the missionary mandate, which is also part of what we're talking about today. But it also highlights that the good news of Jesus Christ opens eyes to the light of God's eternal redeeming power. And I'd like to ask you to read with me. We'll remain in our seats for this, just to read verses 13 through 18 to highlight for us that Paul's experience, though unique, is a template for how we can pray in times of great hardship. We're going to read together aloud verses 13 to 18 in Acts 26. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Above all, our prayer can be for those around us in these troubled days, every day of prayer, that God would use us as his vessels to open their eyes, to turn hearts from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that, that hearts may receive forgiveness. And that good news supersedes and conquers so many, all those areas that challenge us and bring us such grief. And it's great to keep that sunburst of the good news of the gospel on the horizon. Today, as we remember the great sacrifice of many, the heroic efforts, the incredible acts of kindness and compassion, the, the, the sheer indescribable undaunted courage of firefighters who rushed toward the tragic collapsing buildings to save lives. We know how weak our words are, how inadequate our expressions are to even describe the magnitude of that day. So I've asked for three men to come and lead us in a time of shared prayer. And please come now, Joe and, and Justin and Lou, and uh, just as they're led by the Holy Spirit to, to pray for our nation and for first responders and for all of those who serve in law enforcement and in the military. of first responders that held nothing back, went into burning buildings, went into collapsing ceilings, went into anything imaginable that the normal person wouldn't go into. Sometimes sacrificing, sacrificing their own lives to save others. Some of them lost their lives, and we lost many of lives. Through it all, God won. He made us stronger. And those first responders and their families and the loved ones that were lost, we need to always remember them because they did what they were taught to do, and they did it well. And today we have a whole new set of first responders that would do the same thing, go above and beyond to save others before they would worry about their own lives. And, and for that reason, we need to be so thankful, so thankful that God has put them into that position because not everybody can be a first responder. Not everybody wants to be but I'm thankful for all they did 
and I'm thankful for all they're going to do. And I, I, and I just praise them and I thank them in the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you. Father, we come to you today as your people called by your name to lift up those who responded to attack, serve in our military, stand against the evil forces. We lift up all those who have served, the families of those who have given their lives. We just ask that you would be with those who still suffer from some of the ravages of war, that you'd be with those families who still remember the ones who were lost, that you'd be with those who are serving now, Lord, even as our militaries come under attack by evil forces from, it seems, even from within. We come against those forces that would, would uh, take our military from being what, uh, what they are into something they're not. And we just ask that you give each one in the military the resolve to stand. And Lord, that you would bless them, watch over them, be with them as they go. And for the police force, Lord, those who serve to try and keep safety in our nation. Lord, there's, there are forces of, of evil, of unrest that are working through this nation. We come against those forces in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you be with those who try and keep law and order, that you give them courage, that you keep them safe, that you watch over the families of those who have given their lives to protect us. And Lord, we ask that even your church and your people would stand up and, and, and stand for the kind of justice, the kind of uh, freedom we need. We, we ask that you would uh, rid the courts of these people who uh, seem to want to take away the freedoms that we have. And we just uh, lift all of these who, who try and protect us from within and from without. For Lord, you've given us the privilege of being here at a time like this. And Lord, we, we do come to you humbly asking for your mercy, for your grace, Lord, for your strength, for all of them, in Jesus' name. And Lord God, we come to you today on this 21st anniversary of September 11th. And Lord, today our nation and our people are in great pain and division. There's, there's so much anger and difficulty. There's confusion about, about life and what it means to live as you've called us and created us to be. There's but there's also just a lot of unrest in people's hearts and souls. And Lord, in some ways, that's tougher than what happened after September 11th because there was an enemy that attacked us, a, a physical enemy that you could focus on and, and, and try to defeat. We know that so much of what's happening now in our country is a spiritual, is a spiritual battle and an emotional and mental battle as well in the, phys in the natural Lord, today, let today be a day 
where you call all people's hearts to turn to you. Lord, as leaders, sometimes leaders on one side of a, of a struggle or debate can say, well, Lord, help the people on the other side to turn to you. <laughs> and uh, Lord, what's needed really more than ever in our, those that lead our country, but really in all of our hearts, is a, is a focus and a return to calling you Lord and putting you first and asking you to lead and guide our actions and our attitudes so that we can love each other, so that we can bring people together. Lord, only your spirit can restore the hope that's missing in so many families. Only your, only your touch can heal the hurt that we see even in communities like we saw this week in, in Maryland where, with, with a, a terrible tragedy up in Cecil County. Lord, there's just unspeakable um, bad, bad things that happen, that, that evil things that are committed, of course, by humans, but they're humans that are hurting. Lord, today is a day not just to thank you for the, the provision of America and thank you for how you have um, guided America, but we ask you to again help us to guide us through this difficult season and we know that ultimately it can only come by us turning to you. Help us to turn to you, all of us. doesn't matter what uh, somebody's persuasion is on different issues. or all, What matters is that we focus and turn our hearts towards you. And you will, if we follow you, you will lead us to the, to the good pasture. You will lead us to where we need to be. So Lord, we pray today that you'd help us. Help us to turn our hearts to you each on an individual level, and help us to shine that, that love and peace that comes from trusting in you to those around us. And we thank you again, Lord, for bringing us through that difficult time 21 years ago. We ask for your help again, and we thank you, as we said, thank you for those who've paid the ultimate sacrifice, not just on that day, but for decades after. Please be with them and their families today, and speak to their hearts and draw them to you as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we stand together and just wait for a moment, be seated, but wait for the Lord together, we just echo and amen from our hearts what has been prayed today. I want to invite as we pause a moment, others here, your heart is reflecting back on I know for myself, the moment that I got the word of what was happening, and within 20 minutes or so got to the television to see in live news what was happening, it's almost, it's jarring to even think of it being 21 years ago. It's, it's so vivid. Um, and I'm sure others of you have some similar point of your remembrance. Could you, though, in hearty amen, what our leaders here have prayed, could you just lift up a prayer from your heart and, uh, and, and bring it out? Let us, let us agree with your prayer for a, a, a few moments to, together. Others that you just want to pray, you want to give thanks to the Lord, you want to reflect, praying for those who bear, as Justin prayed, ongoing wounds of that terrible day and, and those weeks and months afterwards. So lift your prayer. Let us agree with you. Lift your prayer to the Lord. 
welcome anyone just to lead a prayer. Someone prays, we just, let's just share an amen, amen, and then uh, others, lead your, lead a prayer from your heart.
Amen. Amen. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. Amen. From the heart, a, a big amen. From the heart, amen. Amen. Oh, yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, this, uh, this coming Wednesday evening, we continue. We're inviting you just to come to pray. And we take this 7 o'clock time Wednesday evening, September 14th, and uh, break it up into kind of two parts. We'll have about 20 minutes to individual prayer. Sometimes it's really moving when you're together. You could do it anytime individually, and so, uh, some will welcome anytime to come to this chapel and, and, uh, and come and pray. But being together, but then praying in a quiet way individually is, is a different experience, a beautiful time to share. So we'll have a little 20 minutes of that, and then we'll join for about 40, 45 minutes, just corporate intercessory prayer. So come and join us. And uh, you may say, and I often think of this, that um, even this morning as we wait in the Lord's presence, um, increasingly I'm impressed that prayer is the single thing in the Christian life that most everyone feels inadequate about. Isn't that true? I've, I've never met anyone in my walk with the Lord who feels fully competent to pray. We, we all doubt our prayer capacity. We all know that we need to be entering into prayer. But sometimes it seems like uncharted territory for us. So to the very, very best that we can as a congregation, let's come just begin to pray. I say that to take any uncertainty out of it for anyone. Come pray. Just come and pray. Come and and lift your heart to the Lord. So we want to have this time together Wednesday night um, at 7 and welcome you just to come and be with us in prayer. And you may, in the meantime, have other specific requests that you want to send over that we'll be compiling for some, some specific prayer. But this is not just to pray through a list. It's to come and seek the Lord. So we invite you to come, and uh, if you can't come, uh, join with us somewhere, wherever you are, if you can, to join in agreement. Pray for our country. We pray for all those in authority, as the scripture says, realizing how much the only hope for our nation truly is God, God touching the hearts of people. Well, at uh, 11 for about uh, our kids class will start now and so we can go on over and uh, we're going to work together I'm going to work to do my part to be to, to be finishing up by 11:35. that'll help teachers know how to pray how to plan so we go to about 30 minutes here and uh, that helps you know and we so appreciate each of you that are that are uh, a part of part of ministering to these boys and girls um Quick announcement, too, is as obvious. We're placing over here this sample chair. 
for the new project. We're looking forward to a pretty quickly trying to move toward a decision to purchase uh, 175 chairs that would fill most of this space. So uh, because of supply, supply chain issues, once we get to that decision, we're, uh, we're going to be four or five months out to get a process going where we'll be selling pews and other things and keeping about five of them. But uh, at any rate, um, we would love to welcome you. Come over and have a seat in a sample chair. Um, we're asking some people to take a look at fabrics and kind of help uh, finalize our choice. But uh, we're going to be moving pretty quickly toward that decision within these next couple of weeks. So um, if you'd like to come and sample it, we we'd love to get your feedback as well. Uh, grateful for the givers. As I put that little reminder uh, on the on the board, uh, your gifts made it possible to uh, to make a decision quickly and move ahead. And uh, thank you for all that you're giving. Well, today to turn a corner, but an important corner, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter four, and we're going to see together today three aspects of the mission mandate that is upon the anointing of the Messiah. It is in that fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we did a little bit of the background last week and a little bit more today to consider together the, the power of mission. So this is mission ignition here for this congregation, and it is beautiful to realize that everything that the Bible shows us about the Lord Jesus and his earthly ministry has a corresponding fact in the life of a redeemed child of God. And it is in a passage such as Luke chapter 4 that I think we can, we can see this most vividly. And that is that Luke 4.18 gives us this great announcement by the Lord Jesus. We read part of that as we then look at the surrounding um, reasons that this scripture, 18 and 19 especially, bring us the fuel for fulfilling our mission. And when we look at that word anointing in that 18th verse of Luke 4, we get in a very, in a very concise word that is loaded with powerful biblical and prophetic significance that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, came to make this anointing of the Holy Spirit real and active and continuously available for the redeemed people of God. When you pray, as we're talking about and inviting a corporate time of prayer on Wednesday evening, wherever you are and in your prayer any, at any time, you are being given by God an opportunity every time you bring the simplest of childlike prayers to God. You are inviting and accepting the Holy Spirit's anointing, His power to bring transformation and hope. Now, in this 18th and 19th verse of Luke chapter 4, we hear the Lord Jesus himself speaking words that were penned by the prophet Isaiah about 750 years before Jesus was born. And yet, that prophetic 
can put into action the promise of God about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That promise of the Holy Spirit touches every arena of human need. As we pray today in the memory of that tragic day of 9-11, we're reminded of the heartbreaking, tragic hurt in the lives of multiplied hundreds of thousands of people affected, whether by family members lost or by ongoing illness or many tragedies that followed in its wake. And then as has been prayed today, across the spectrum of today's culture, we see so many points of hurt and pain. And yet within, embedded within this prophetic passage is, as we saw last week, a vivid call of the Holy Spirit about what it means to trust in Jesus Christ and for God to light that lamp of his Holy Spirit's illumination within us. Verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, and I'm reading from the ESV today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now understanding that within this, uh, within this text is the declaration of the Lord Jesus fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied about the coming servant of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, and the original text in Isaiah 61 accents the eternal being of God, the Lord God, Yahweh, the true creator God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And we briefly last week, I noted that in John 3.34, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells upon the Messiah without limit, without measure. And then God's Word gives all of us in New Testament epistles, Romans chapter 12, for example, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, the, the promise that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of God, the Holy Spirit's presence is given to us in measured ways so we experience the gift of Christ in concert with the whole body of Christ. And yet in his living person, in his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit dwelt upon him without measure, unlimited. So in Luke 4.18, we hear the Lord Jesus speaking of this fuel that we can draw from. Now one thing we have to bear in mind as we think of the individual soul in relationship to the anointing is something we don't want to miss today as we think about looking at that lamp last week that Jesus often used the illustration of this uh, earthenware lamp of, of ancient times, this uh, piece of pottery with a, uh, with a um, receptacle for the oil and then a wick that's placed within the oil like that wick, if that wick is kept clean and trimmed, if that wick is in the right condition, then, then it lights and keeps that oil lamp burning. And it is that 
tiny part of the picture that reflects our will and our willingness. My heart's response to God is like my wick. And I keep that wick trimmed so that the igniting, the flame of the Holy Spirit, His pure oil of the Holy Spirit within the the dwelling of this earthen vessel, that God, in this amazing condescension to human need, God promises through the Messiah's anointing that there is light, there is illumination, there is a continual source of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And we see why this event in Luke 4 then was so significant in the ministry of Jesus. Now, let's zoom back out kind of the ca- bring the camera back out a little bit and try to envision briefly the scene in a synagogue in Nazareth. We saw that he came to that place where he had been brought up. And we saw in last week that in Isaiah 53, the Bible says that he grew up, he, the Messiah, grew up before him, the Lord God, as a tender shoot out of dry ground. Well, that imagery in the uh, prophet Isaiah relates to both the necessity of all of us to have a fully human Savior, the the God-man who entered into human experience in totality, yet the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.14, without sin, Jesus never sinned, but God made him the sinless Messiah to become the sin offering for us so that in Christ we could be made the righteous ones in him. So in that understanding, 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks of this this great redemptive reality in the cross. That the, that the sin offering that our Savior became perfectly atoned for all the inadequacies and all the failures and all the depravity of human experience so that the response to the Lordship of Jesus, the power of that good news, as, as Diane was praying earlier, I'm not ashamed of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. It is the power of God. It's this good news about who he is. When my heart responds to it with a yes, when that little wick is lit, that little wick of willingness in my soul, God gives us the light. Well, Jesus comes into that scene in the synagogue of Nazareth, very familiar surroundings, and he comes in there and he comes into a very elaborate uh, uh, liturgy, which I've just tried to quickly summarize in a thumbnail fashion here, in that Jesus walks into that synagogue of Nazareth. And remember that prior to this, Jesus has been already down into Judea for the first time. He has already turned the water into wine at Cana of Galilee. He has already performed mighty miracles just to the north, slightly to the northeast of Nazareth, up on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee in the town of Capernaum. And these fellow Nazarenes have heard of the stories of who he is. And now he's back at that little hometown village called Nazareth. It was a small place then. It's still a relatively small community now. And this Nazareth synagogue 
becomes the stage upon which God reveals something so remarkable about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the gift of God that we want to think about it um, today in, in three ways. First, about the anointing itself. Secondly, about the mission that was portrayed. And then thirdly, why he chose Nazareth. It's a crucial confrontation that shows that God has put in the gospel an automatic calling we all partake of, which is, through the good news, to love people that are not like us. To love people that are in that category we might call the other to break us out of our both geographical and ethnic and personality preferences, break us out of that so that the vessel of the Holy Spirit, ignited by the flame of God, sends us with good news and love and compassionate care to people who are radically different than we are. This confrontation is quite Remarkable. Well, first he enters into the scene, and, and you notice in your text, if you've got your Bible open in Luke chapter 4, very familiar section there, that in that 16th verse, the Bible says, He came to where he was brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So clearly, one of the characteristic marks of, of, of the God-man, the Messiah, who, who, who grew up as a tender shoot out of the dry ground, one of the characteristics is that, that the, the experience of worshiping publicly, coming together and bringing the scriptures and honoring what God has already made known in the past, even at times when it may feel a little bit dull reading and wrote certain passages of scripture, that was embedded in the life and experience, the human part of the experience of Jesus. He, it was his custom to be in the synagogue. One, one, one writer some 35 years ago made this observation that the synagogue became the cradle of the future church in the sense that it was, it was the very pattern of the synagogue, for the reason that they gathered was an understanding of that need, that corporate need, to, to assemble around the eternal gift of the Word of God. Now, of course, we see it throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts that it was in the synagogues that often, even the apostles, originally would take this good news, this life-giving and life-transforming reality of the risen life of Christ that would transform that synagogue into a dwelling of the redeemed and Paul adopts language relative to that um, in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 18 through 21 when he gives two illustrations of what the real church is today and both of them are intriguing in that he gives an illustration of the old tabernacle that uh, portable dwelling place and then he uses the illustration of the temple of Solomon which was more of a permanent dwelling place. And Paul gives us this insight into the work of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 2.19, that the Holy Spirit has now, Christ has removed the barrier between Jew and Gentile so that the Holy Spirit is now calling us to grow together dynamically into a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. That is as long as we're in this 
temporary body in this human vessel that we walk in, as long as we're on planet earth, that God has called us to be a part of a wonderful adventure, including the Holy Spirit's dynamic working among congregations that we might grow by the grace of God as the Holy Spirit creates people together who can be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Well, Jesus modeled a faithfulness to the, to the standard of his day. That was, it was his custom to open the scriptures among the redeemed people of God. Well, it's very striking, of course, that he's among his own people. And uh, it foreshadows, again, another fact of the New Testament church that Hebrews 2.12 tells us that God takes great delight in knowing the living, risen Messiah is literally singing among us. I will bring praise among my brethren, he says in Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm chapter 22, about his resurrection life. You know, it may sound mystical, but it's a wonderful fact to think about, that the Bible is really telling us in the fulfillment of Psalm 22 and Hebrews 2, 10 to 12, that the Lord Jesus literally sings among us. This worship team was here today doing such a beautiful gift unto the Lord that we enjoy as they lead us in worship. And there is a real sense, beyond what any frail human tongue can fully explain, that the Lord Jesus sings among the saints. That's an amazing thing. And here he is modeling that he's among his own people. Well, uh, quickly, um, the great um, Hebrew scholar of the 19th century, Alfred Edersheim, included many aspects of the liturgy of that synagogue in Nazareth. And among those was first that there were recited prayers. This was a long service, in other words. There were recited prayers at the beginning of the service. Then all of the synagogue congregants pronounced the Shema of Israel, the great words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there was this thing called the yoke of the ten, where the ten... Uh, principal members of the foundation of the synagogue would stand and perform a blessing upon the people. Then there was a third planned prayer. And then there was a moment where those of the priestly line, those of an ironic background, would remove their shoes. And then they would begin pronouncing certain benedictions, certain blessings upon the people. And then there would be this moment of high drama. Uh, though it was routine and liturgical, it was greatly esteemed among the people. There would be the unwrapping of the scrolls. There was a procedure for the unwrapping of the scrolls. The Torah, the full body of scripture that uh, Jewish synagogues possessed at that time, uh, not the commentaries, but the actual copies of the copies of the copies of the Torah, was divided into 154 sections. And there were seven assigned readers for every Sabbath day. But as they were included, these planned readings, the, the finale was finishing the readings from the law and the, and the uh, poetic books, and then there was the choice of the prophetic reading. And many scholars believe there was actually some uh, fluidity in that, in that the individual, in this case Jesus, was invited as a guest rabbi to come and open the scroll because they all knew him. They knew who he was, but he was back from Judea and back from Galilee. And so we read that text and we get that sense in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 
17 that um, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he opened it and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bring deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind. All of these culminated, what we saw last week, was a kind of a crescendo of the anointing where he was full of the Holy Spirit in verse 1, led by the Spirit or actually driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then Isaiah had prophesied that because of that great anointing, that the glory of the Lord would be revealed. And here's the exciting thing. All flesh shall see it together. That is, Isaiah chapter 40 as well as chapter 61 pointed to a time that all types of people, all ethnic groups, not just those that the Nazareth people thought of as their, as their kindred and their type, but no, this was God bringing an announcement of what the Holy Spirit's objective would be. It culminates in a kind of, a, I, I think of it as a kind of a crescendo of anointing in that four places in the prophet Isaiah, the prophetic plan for the coming of the Holy Spirit is outlined. Now here we, we find the first is referring to Messiah as the branch, the, the branch of the Lord. And we look at that again in a moment. Then in chapter 32, the outpouring of the Spirit that will bring a new abundance and fruitfulness. And then Isaiah 44, then the pr time will come, I will pour out my Spirit on all who are thirsty. And then Isaiah 61, where the anointing is upon a person. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the Messiah. And it was also a crescendo of anointing in the sense of its pattern of the Old Testament in that uh, the picture of anointing oil coming upon various chosen individuals all in a representative way pointed to the coming Messiah. In other words, this moment at the synagogue in Nazareth in this small town where Jesus had grown up where he comes back after the launch of roughly trying to trace it all in the harmony of the Gospels. It could be anywhere from six months to nine months since the very beginning, since he came out of the wilderness after the temptation. And he's back, and all eyes are fastened upon him because they, they, they yearned to maybe see something like what he did in these other places. In the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, for example, it says, when he came to his hometown, the disciples followed him. And when he taught in the synagogue, many who were, heard him were astonished, saying, where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hand? Well, you need your answer? Here's Jesus in the pulpit of the synagogue unrolling the scroll of Isaiah and speaking words that to this very moment we wish we could hear directly and tangibly from his lips. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because 
He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And in that moment, the crescendo of the anointing pictured of the priest in Leviticus chapter 8, of the pouring of a horn of oil on a royal, a chosen future monarch. What happened in England this week with the passing away of the queen after a historic 70 years and 214 days as the queen of England. And immediately, Charles the son becomes king. Well, in those days, it would have been accompanied by the pouring of a horn of oil upon the head of the new monarch. And then the prophetic, of course, the prophetic, all through the Old Testament, but pictured in a beautiful imagery in Psalm chapter 45, where the Bible says of the coming Messiah that grace will be poured into your lips. For you will ride forth victoriously and carry this anointing. It's going to be such a fragrant anointing that Psalm chapter 45 describes it like the, like the, the fragrant, beautiful fragrant perfumes that would attend the arrival of a bride at the wedding celebration where the fragrance of the beautiful flowers and the and the perfumes and the oils and the entire environment would not only be visually captivating, but in the fragrance, in the olfactory sense, they would, they would bring a fragrance of something, something magnificent, something splendid, something life-giving and uplifting. And Psalm 45 says, the anointing of God that will be on this coming one will be such that it's not only visually spectacular, oh, but it's a fragrance that fills the atmosphere. And it, and it was so important that that be understood that it is this crescendo of anointing that in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, the, the description is that God, this earth, this dry ground that we spoke of earlier where the Messiah grows up as a, as a plant out of, out of dry and the text implies a parched, lifeless soil. God sends a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch grows out of its roots. And the Spirit of God is poured upon him in seven attributes. The Spirit of wisdom and counsel and of might and of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. This wonderful panorama of attributes that the Holy Spirit will bring because he's the branch of the Lord. And these Nazareth uh, synagogue worshipers must have been dazzled to be sitting there listening and thinking they've they know of they know of the turning of the water into wine it came that story has gone about we know it because John 2:11 says this first sign Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and showed forth his glory they know it but they're puzzled they're baffled Mark chapter 6 says astoundingly he could do no mighty miracle among them because of their unbelief so when so for example we could literally say back when 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 acts 10:37 tells that god anointed jesus of nazareth who went about going to it doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for god 
was with him. We can pair that up with Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 13, 53 and realize that and yet, as true as that may be, here, hometown synagogue, no, no mighty works. Well, the very core of that declaration of of verse 18 is the meaning of Messiah, the meaning of the anointing. And in a sense, in standing there in that synagogue pulpit, what Jesus did was not only that the crescendo of anointing was personalized in the Messiah, but also the very uttering of Luke 4, 18 and 19 crystallized the vision of the coming kingdom. God, in other words, the good news of Jesus, our Savior, means that the full power of God's redeeming purpose touches every arena of human existence. From the suffering hearts we prayed for this morning on that unforgettably cataclysmic day of 9-11, when many of us sat there in stunned amazement at what we saw with the crumbling of those towers in that afternoon after after the, the heroic efforts to rescue people, and all of the the, the crash of the plane in, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the, the, the burning of the Pentagon. And we saw that and we look at it and the, the sheer evil. And, and then to this very week is the, the evil of, of gunmen opening fire in, in open air in malls in, in parts of our country this week. The, the, the heartbreak is unending. It's a, it's a continuous cascade of heartbreaking situations. And yet the Lord said By the anointing of his presence, he enters into that to bring the full redemptive power into every kind of human trauma. Oh, what a joy to know that in Christ, as fully as that branch out of the dry ground identified with human need and wept at the tomb of Lazarus, with deep sobs, John eleven thirty five 35 tells us, and yet was about to perform that mighty miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead to foreshadow his coming resurrection. Even in that, the, the factor of the God-man is there. He enters into our suffering. He enters into our pain. He identifies with us. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to the same kind of proclamation. Yes, for us. We're called to say to the prisoners, come out. And to those who are in darkness, appear. That is God, through the gospel, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, through good news to the poor, through bringing liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, we are called together, all of us are called, to both proclaiming, and setting the captives free. There's a proclamation and an emancipation. God is in charge of this, and he sent us with the gospel. Well, of course, this led to a crucial confrontation. Now, we see in the text, if you go to verse 18, uh, verse 22, you see that then as he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, he declared that this fulfillment was coming, and verse 22 says, All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? 
Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb Jesus said, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard, you did at Capernaum. Do it here in your hometown as well. And then Jesus draws from amazing examples of the Old Testament that as powerful as powerfully as God used prophets Elijah and Elisha, the best known and the premier of prophets of all Jewish people would have known that, he said when the time came for the display of his power, because of the condition to their heart, he sent Elijah way up into Sidon. I, I, I checked it on the Google map currently how you could drive from Nazareth to Sidon. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive today. It's 168 miles. Uh, it's right up in the Lebanese mountains. And Jesus is saying, God sent a prophet to a widow way up at Tyre and Sidon. It would be like saying, there's a need in Westminster, but the Lord has sent an answer um, up to Haber de Grace, or, or uh, he sent an answer over to, uh, to Easton on the eastern shore. And, and, and he uses these examples to say it's because of the condition of the heart. Why could he not do many mighty works there? It says very simply, because of unbelief. And yet, in the rest of the chapter, there's a panorama of events. There's about four key events that takes us from the synagogue of Capernaum, where a man is delivered from demonic power to multiple miracles of people gathering at near the home of Simon Peter to healing a, f- a, a, a deep fever of Simon's mother-in-law and then people gathering around and saying, please, just stay here. Just, just set up your headquarters right here in Capernaum. Hang, hang out here, Lord Jesus. And it culminates in just an, it's a very, very interesting verse to me. And it's a great way for us to leave today. And that is that Jesus was saying to people who wanted him, they, they, they wanted him to be there. They wanted him to stay. Boy, if they'd had their way, they'd say, let's just build larger buildings right here. Let's just, let's just uh, do, what, uh, do what they said on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, let's just build three tabernacles right here. Let's just stay right here. And yet Jesus was constantly in breakout mode. He would come to a congregation like this congregation here at Liberty Church, and he would say, join with me in my mission. We've got other cities to reach. We've got other hearts to touch. We've got other land to pursue. And we do it together because of the grace of God. Now, I want to invite you. Uh, I took longer than 35 minutes. I'm not a good judge of time when I say that thing. I should never commit myself to just 30. But let me do this very quickly. I want to bring for us over the next several weeks four quick current mission tasks that we could share in the fall of 2022. They're easy to explain, I promise. Number one, every year Challenge Farm in Kenya needs to buy corn in bulk supplies for the massive operation. And now there's a lot of exciting things happening in a new development at Challenge Farm. And there's new, there are some great, there are some new needs, but also just this past week, over 27 new children off the streets of Nairobi coming into the program, many of whom come from living partially in the streets. And every, we get the opportunity to help buy corn. You can take one of those offering envelopes, you can put one bag of corn or two or three, $28 per bag of corn, and we're going to try to send a whole bunch of bags of corn to Operation to Challenge Farm. Secondly, this year we will share in a community-wide effort of Operation Christmas Child, and 
I so appreciate Hannah Eberly is going to lead this, coordinate this effort to make a table available and have a way for you to be able to participate in Operation Christmas Child. We want to renew and undergird our support to two crisis pregnancy centers, Alpha and Reisterstown, and, and the renamed uh, Pregnancy Support Center of Carroll County. Both of these, I've toured both of them, met with the directors. They are doing an awesome job. And then I have a very special need, uh, a pastor in Brazil who has um, faithfully served the congregation many years, went 12 years to Lebanon as a missionary, back to Brazil, pastoring a small congregation, had a major medical issue last year that he went through that was successful in the operation and the recovery, but now he's hit with overwhelming medical bills that in American dollars don't sound like that much. Total out, total need is about $4,800. Yet for them, it's a massive amount in Brazilian money. And we're going to send a love offering. It's a long story, but I'm giving you the, the, the headline. And I'll invite you, if you'd like to help, toward $10, $20, $30, or some other amount, whatever you'd like to help, you can just take an envelope right on there, Brazil, and put an extra offering in. And as we do so, I think it, Operation Christmas Child is probably one of the best ways to symbolize what that's all about. It's breaking out of where we are to share the love of Jesus through the power of a simple gift with children around the world. The operation in Kenya is a classic example of it. There's a need for these bags of corn. And whether it's these four I've mentioned or another mission in your heart, above all, from the synagogue of Nazareth, we can share in a call to renew mission in our day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given members of this congregation to be so generous. Uh, I love that uh, saying of, a friend of mine in Texas who always used to say, God gives generous people more to be generous with. And we ask that you would bless the care and outreach of this congregation in new ways. Show us, our, show us your way, Lord, that as we rejoice in the mighty anointing, the unlimited anointing upon you, our risen Savior, that we walk by faith with expectancy of how your Holy Spirit guides us in new, new steps of mission. In Jesus' name, amen.